decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of but a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced men had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. Welcome to the rise of the Ageless Starman. Today, I'm hosting Mr. Sergey Young, an investor and a leading advocate of uh, longevity research. Thank you, Sergey, for coming and joining My me pleasure. today. Pleasure. Thanks, you. Um, so, Sergey, we just heard Kennedy's uh, famous moon speech. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you if you think this, his words could apply today to the longevity project. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously it's, it's a great speech and great aspiration for all of us. And, um, you know, I, I, I think Kennedy example is is an example of, you know, putting a very positive paradigm before and about uh, the, our target of our efforts or achievement that we need to, to take. Because if you look at longevity today, a lot of people have pretty bad association with longevity. So people think they, they're just going to, like, live in a very old, uh, disabled stage for longer, which is not the case. And... The aspiration that I take from this speech is how to, to make, you know, completely positive picture of the future, which will draw attention, resources, you know, all our focus to achieve this uh, positive goal. So that's number one. And then number two, what I like, you know, I think when people listen to uh, JFK, when he did that, you know, majority of people thought he's just crazy. And... My, my favorite quote from my role model and our uh, the person who, who helped me a lot with longevity vision from, from Peter Diamantis is uh, the day before something is a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. Yeah. So you know, going to the moon was a crazy idea for many, many years uh, for human beings. And you know, we all know, it, you know they achieved that. So, and I think it's a little bit the same with longevity, right? It, it does sound crazy. It's not positive for everyone, but it's part of our mission as a human being to, you know, to do a positive reframing of longevity challenge into longevity opportunity. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I I uh, what the first thing you said, what I uh, noticed is that uh, everyone remembers the quote where he said, we choose to go to the moon this decade and to the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
this is what everybody remembers, but yeah. you pointed a good uh, point because uh, before that, a little bit, he said it, it's conquest deserves the best of all mankind and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation. Many never come again. And after that sentence, he said, because that goal will serve to arrange and measure the best of our energies and skills. So I think this is what's really was uh, what, what touched, moved and inspired the American people and their yeah. imagination, what they saw as a big opportunity. So I, I, I agree with you. Please tell us a little bit about you, your background in investing. Okay, great. Um, so I'm 47 and I'm originally from Russia. You know, uh, I started my career in the, in the consulting world. So I spent a few years in uh, McKinsey doing strategy consulting for many kind of huge corporations in this world. And then 20 years ago, I moved to private equity. You know, today I'm, I'm managing a portfolio of assets, which is probably more than uh, $2 billion in total. But this, I mean, this all, you know, these assets are, they, they pretty much all economy type of assets. So it's transportation and logistics, it's ports, in re it's real estate, it's food retail, it's uh, metals and mining assets all around the world. So, you know, I always were trying to find something very high tech, uh, very transformational, you know, very new and engaging and, you know, it's almost like a, looking for a mission for myself. And a uh, few years ago, um, you know, I, I just went to the doctor. They said, you have extremely high cholesterol level. It was five years ago. And then, and, and this is where the whole interest and in longevity started for me. I started to experiment with myself. I'm not by a hacker. So all my experiments was about lifestyle changes, you know, increased Activity, taking some supplements, changing the diet, do fasting, you know, cold water, you know, so, you know, neurofeedback exercises, etc. Uh, so, that nothing to do with biohacking. But, you know, I, what I learned through these years gave me a lot of, you know, aspiration about setting up my longevity platform. Because, you know, I think we know today how to, how not to die young. We know today how to extend our lives to 100 years. Less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. And now, if America's new spacecraft succeeds in reaching Venus, we will have literally reached the stars before midnight tonight. Unless you're very unlucky with longevity, uh, with your gene lottery, mm -hmm. you know, I think all of us has good chances to be healthy and happy till the uh, age of 100. We're still facing the natural limit of our body of somewhere around 120 years old. But, you know, the current technologies, which is 
which is today in a stage of development, whether it's genome editing or stem cells, um, some other stuff. You know, obviously we'll work with, you know, moving this ceiling. You know, having said that, you know, obviously there's a lot of lifestyle changes and early diagnostic for killing monsters like cancer or heart disease that we can do today to improve our chances and, and improve quality and, and as well as quantity of our life. So, you know, I kind of thought, you know, if my passion is longevity and I want to change life of actually billions of people in a very positive way, uh, I'm not making any money, you know, any money out of it. I mean, this is part of my mission to change the world uh, in a positive way. I kind of thought, okay, I'll set up Longevity Vision Fund because, you know, I've done it for 20 years. I think I know, you know, what to do and what kind of companies, startups, ideas, and technologies we can support through this fund to achieve our goal in terms of, you know, human life extension. So that's number one. And there's, you know, a lot of other activities. I do a lot of, in terms of education, I'm part of... um, UK parliamentary uh, longevity group, which is dedicated to creating UK national longevity strategy and adding at least five happy and healthy years to um, UK citizens. I'm working with a lot of organizations, and this is my pro bono work. I don't charge any kind of time, money, or even expenses to that, to do a lot of corporate longevity programs. The largest institution I work is a global company with 300,000 people all around, all around the world. We do exciting corporate longevity program for 300,000 people. It's amazing how the state of their health, the awareness about particular problems that they have in their bodies that they can treat today rather than waiting until disease will manifest itself. Their level of uh, you know, mental health and capacity to handle stress improving. So that's exciting change. I'm very happy to see that. I'm very happy that I can contribute it to, you know, everyone around me. Yeah. I, you talked about the uh, British government. Like, they are they into it? <laughs> they... You know, you're you're going to be surprised, but uh, so we, we work with UK Parliament. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, every country has its own specific governance structure. We see a lot of interest in the UK, uh, but I don't know whether you know or not. Uh, I just had a, a great meeting with uh, Andrew Scott. He's a professor in London Business School, and he's author of best-selling book uh, called Honey Years Life. Uh, he works a lot with different governments in Asia and Europe and in America as well. Um, and he's going to be doing the, the first conference this year, I think it's autumn this year in Italy, where he uh, invites, I think it's probably at least 20 countries who's working on their longevity programs today. So we are in the middle of longevity revolution. We're just not aware that this is in the stage of development. Uh, So that's number one. Number two, I mean, if you think about today's world, the pace and magnitude of demographic changes is so massive. So, you know, almost like any government couldn't afford itself to avoid, you know, solving longevity problem and turning this longevity problem into longevity opportunity. I mean, yeah. it, and it has a lot of components, national healthcare system, 
pension reform? What are we doing with, you know, with um, aging workforce? And, I mean, even if you look at the paradigm of life of you and me and uh, our audience, you know, just a kind of few years ago, we all meant to live 75 years. So you roughly have your first 25 years, it's your childhood and study. Next 25 years, your work. And then your last 25 years is like pre-retirement and retirement age, right? Mm-hmm. Now yeah. think about 100 years life. So we almost like added, inserted third 25 years period between number two and number three. So what are you going to do after you turn 50? You know, your kids, you know, already adult, right? And then taking care of themselves. You're pretty young in terms of your body and mind. And you don't want to retire, right? So it's just another 25 years ahead of you before you go to retirement age, whether you want to accept it this way. So there's this this whole new thing for all of us as humans to think about dream and plan. So what are we going to do with this extra healthy and happy 25 years in our life? So that's, I mean, that's a pretty exciting question. We can party, enjoy it. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm all for it. We forget to do it. Yeah, that's true. Um, So... It's a new, it's a new field for investors. Yeah, quite new. Uh, what do you seek in a potential investment? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a very interesting question. So we, you know, briefly we'll look into three things. Um, number one, um, we are big fans of affordable longevity. So. I'm as a person, as a founder of Longevity Vision Fund, and, and the fund mission is to do a very affordable version of longevity treatments, changes, which is suitable for everyone and affordable for everyone. I hate the idea of longevity for each guys. So the first thing that we're looking at is, is that technology or product or service, does it cast but potential to be very affordable and applicable to millions of lives. So that's number one. Number two is we're trying to look at more infrastructural uh, place. Um, So what we want to do is, is to enjoy the benefit of, you know, exponential pace of technological development in the world. So we're naturally looking at, you know, uh, sectors like you know early diagnostic like variables like uh, artificial intelligence we even do some visionary stuff like human avatars or replaceable organs right I mean it's a very small part of our portfolio so we're looking at technological and infrastructural component of that so this is the type of startups and entrepreneurs that we want to support with our fund and then you know number three is you know obviously it's a very new field, and it's very difficult to be experienced and educated investor in longevity itself. Because longevity today is not pleased by the means of regulatory bodies all around the world. So we're moving there, but it's not yet. So we actually, the third thing that we're looking at specifically for young companies is what are their partnership network? 
do they have like marketing partnership when they uh, partner with you know huge hospital chain or you know healthcare uh, uh, equipment manufacturer or big pharma who are their investor uh, you know investing partners and um, who are their academic partners are they working with like best aging and actually anti-aging institutes and academic research centers in the world. So the, this type of filter and this type of criteria helps you to select the most credible and therefore the most promising technologies and the companies to invest. Uh, it's nice you mentioned the academia. I always uh, wonder like uh, what's the relationship between industry and academia? for you, for investors, like how can they much easily take it to the, the theoretical research to the field? Yeah, um, this is a very interesting question. So let's look 10, 20 years back, right? Yeah. So what you had, all you had in this field is you had amazing academic minds in universities, right, or research centers. And then you have big pharma. And obviously you have kind of healthcare system, however it's structured in a particular country, right? So there's almost like, you know, empty field in between. Uh, you know, the great colleague of mine, James Fair, founder of Apollo Ventures, one of the few funds which actually longevity focus today in the world. He called it the valley of death. So then it was very difficult to find someone who will fund a great idea from university and bring it, you know, up to commercial production stage, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously it was very complicated for regulatory rule because your FDA process for new drug development is like 10, 12 years process and it's multi-billion uh, dollars exercise. So right now, what has changed for the last 10 years, you see the guys like, you know, us coming, you know, huge holding companies like Juvenescence, set up by Jim Mellon and Greg Bailey, um, Life by Science, set up by David Sinclair. So you see the more and more investors coming into this place. So what is happening? And we obviously, you know, look at Juvenescence. Juvenescence has the collaboration partnership set up with Buck Institute, right? And it's probably... It, it, one of the uh, probably number one institute in the U.S. in terms of their focus, right? Um, so we're looking at number of other academic institutions to set up partnership, do a small incubator, so we can support the ideas, a group of academics and entrepreneurs from this particular institution to bring the idea to the practical level and to the stage to form a company, etc. So, you know, I think it's very handy that many, many investors are coming into place to support this idea for them, for, you know, these entrepreneurs or this, you know, academic professionals to bring idea to the level uh, of the company and startup. But create new ills as it dispels old. New ignorance, new problems, new dangers. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait, 
bought this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. So you, you are part of the X-Pride project? Uh, I saw on the website there is something uh, going on. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit details about it? What are they going to do in the space of longevity? Yeah. So, you know, for those unfamiliar with XPRIZE, you know, XPRIZE Foundation is a uh, is, uh, pro bono organization, right? Uh, which does the following. It takes, you know, certain amount of money from the sponsor. It should be motivating and big and motivating enough, like 10, 20 million dollars from the great companies like um, uh, Google, uh, Shell, you know, a, a lot of other companies. And then it takes one of the world's problems, goes to the world and say, the first team who's going to solve this problem going to get this price, right? This 10 or 20 million dollars. What is happening, and this is nature of incentive-based competition, for every problem, for every competition, there's always like, you know, from 100 to four or 500 teams all around the world, they show interest and they're trying to participate in this competition, right? And then in the course of three or five years, you get the winner. And usually a winner kind of solves this problem. So the first X prize was actually a competition to create the first commercial non-government-created spaceship. So it was done. Then Richard Branson bought the rights for this, and we, we now know this business as Virgin Galactic, right? So, um, and, and I'm a member of Global Innovation Board for an XPRIZE, and I work very closely with Peter Diamantes and... Uh, other great, amazing human beings engage into uh, that and uh, in the change in the world in a positive way. Uh, and I always thought that we need to do longevity X prize. We need to take, I don't know, $20 million from, you know, company or individual who care about this whole thing. And then we need to set up an X prize that the winning team should design any, you know, intervention, treatment, product or service, which will help to reverse aging for as much as possible. So that's, that's the idea. We are in the beginning of the process because every XPRIZE needs to be carefully developed to be successful competition. So we just had amazing longevity lab in the end of April in LA when we got 50 greatest minds in longevity, academics, entrepreneurs, investors. Um, and then we were brainstorming about ideas behind this uh, X Prize. So I'm development sponsor of Longevity X Prize, okay. and I do hope we're going to launch it later this year or early next year to the whole world. Oh, so you decided a specific challenge, or the people? We are. Uh, it's it's our second month working on that. Mm -hmm. so we have at least another five or six months ahead. So it's going to be like just very early for me to share initial hypothesis that we have. So we just need yeah. to work a little bit, yeah. Okay, I'm excited to to yeah. to follow it. Okay, um, 
So let's talk about uh, the longevity vision fund. Yeah. It's uh, correlated with the X-Prize or? Uh, Well, obviously they're complementary in terms of of the field. But for me, it's almost like, you know, two little bit separate projects, right? Mm -hmm. This longevity vision fund is commercial venture. Uh, I don't do this through commercial lenses. My aim actually to support uh, emerging industry and a lot of startups through that. Uh, so I'm not, you know, planning to make any money out of it. And then, you know, obviously X Prize is a different type of adventure for me, where you know I have an opportunity to leverage X Prize as an amazing organization to do kind of huge global competition to solve longevity problems. So they are correlated in terms of my own mission to change life of one billion people, but they like two separate projects then. Okay. Um, so, what what is like the? Is it going to be that dedicated only to longevity, or there will be some more uh, health, like cancer or yeah. or any other um, any other uh, direction? Yeah. So. Um... If you look at our definition of longevity, we decided to focus more on infrastructure and technological side of that. So it is early diagnostic, right? Mm-hmm. It's wearable devices. It's new technologies, which is currently under development, like stem cells, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, it's artificial intelligence. Et so these are the things that we've done, you know, through my previous investor experience. So I felt very comfortable integrating this for the longevity theme. Mm-hmm. There's obviously there's the other huge and massive part of longevity sector, which is to do with drug development. We don't do that. You need to be very specialized and educated and experienced to invest in drug development because um, this actually, I mean, if you look at early drug development projects, uh, Less than 1% of them go, you know, are successful commercially. So it's just very difficult for us as a new investors in the field to invest in such a specialized, you know, field where big pharma, academic, drug development companies uh, play an important role. So we decided we just focus ourselves on infrastructure and technology and this side of longevity. Yeah, it. It's good uh, you mentioned the percentage of uh, success because uh, every time I think about uh, the idea and the hard road for developing a drug, uh, there are challenges challenges that not exist in other uh, fields like uh, the scientific risk. That yeah. Won't be, it won't work at the end, which is, yeah. you can never know. Um, there are some uh, legal issues that can come yeah. up the road. Yeah. And the scientist or the entrepreneur, he, like, he needs to think how will he uh, stay, how he will survive the, the increase of the expenses, like in phase three and four, if. Yeah. It keeps going on. So yeah, yeah. what would you recommend for someone like this? 
that wants to talk? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, first of all, you know, if you ask me about drug development, I'm probably not the best person to judge on that, right? Yeah. It is very specialized area, and that, and it's just a lot of things going on there, right? So what I, you know, if you ask me, you know, what I think about it is, um, I think we just need to be aware that the uh, big data, variables, um, artificial intelligence, you know, all these technological developments of the last 10, 15 years are making already a huge impact on that. So we invest in a company called Insilica Medicine. This is AI-enabled drug development company. They're now based in Hong Kong. Um, and what they do, they just use AI to compress the first stage of drug development process from two to three uh, years today mm -hmm. into two or three months, right? Yeah. Simply because they use big data, they use AI algorithm, and they do integration with, you know, academics and, um, and uh, kind of research papers, and they also use AI to make hypothesis in regards to the targets, uh, etc. So I think it's just awareness of, you know, how fundamentally things has changed because of technology is very helpful for someone who is trying to change the paradigm of drug developments today. So that's number one. And number two is, you know, obviously regulatory aspect of it is, is enormously important, as you mentioned. Um, in many, almost, it's actually in almost every country on earth today, aging is not diseased by, defined by regulatory body. So that prevents inflow of big pharma focus, of billions of dollars, and academic research focus as well. So, and I think we're getting there. Uh, you know, in the next five to 10 years, the aging or uh, symptoms of aging are gonna be qualified as disease in many countries. So which will help in terms of attracting the best world resources to solving this problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I heard about met metformin. Yeah, but there is a there is a effort to try to make yeah. it as a aging yeah a treatment. I hope yeah. I hope it will succeed. I think uh, it's a, a big uh, bottleneck for yeah. the. Yeah. Uh, I think is uh, when we solve the aging, if if we're going to be you know able to solve this problem, I think it's very unlikely it's going to be just one solution. Because you know, think about this: if 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 there is hypothetically only like one solution to solve the aging problem, then Mother Nature would solve this problem you know long ago, <laughs> or human beings, right? So human health lifespan is such a complex thing that it does requires, you know, appreciating and managing complexity of this whole thing. Yes, I agree. Um, so you, you 
talked uh, about uh, in Silicon Medicine as yeah. uh, innovative AI companies. What what other other uh, technology you think are uh, already uh, showing a big uh, a big uh, improve, improvement and gives you the feeling that uh, there's a big difference that can be made in the next decade. Like what are companies? Yeah, um, that's, I mean, there's plenty of exciting companies, Juan. We're looking at few Japanese companies who, you know, Japanese are good with robotics, so they, they're working on human avatars. So that's, um, that's amazing. My two favorite ones, one is a company called Cellularity, which actually, you know, works on stem cell treatment. But uh, what is interesting about them is that they, they take placenta as, as their, you know, stem cells. Um, um, it, okay, it is the place where they derive their stem cells, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that makes you know, this company very interesting. The other one is a company called Lygenesis, and they're working on, on regeneration of different organs. You know, I find them really exciting. I mean, we obviously bound by confidentiality agreements, so I, I can give you more details before they go to more, uh, go, they start their PR campaign uh, to the extent they want to do this. But there's a lot of amazing stuff going on in, in organ regeneration field today. Whether it's like 3D printed or done inside the human body, it's amazing. So that's, that's my take on what are the most exciting companies. The other one, you know, when I answer this question, I need to tell you about the companies that you already know. We just don't think about them as, as future longevity and kind of huge healthcare uh, companies. I'm talking about Google, talking about Apple, I'm talking about IBM. You know, uh, is, uh, look at Apple, right? You know, Apple Watch is, is just an amazing tool to take human health data, right? Yeah. The Apple Watch, I think it's Apple Watch 4, um, has even, you know, today can do even cardiogram uh, and I see how your heart works today, right? And using the algorithm to predict particular issues with your heart health, right? And then I think Apple, if you look at Apple today, they already have at least 4 million people sign up, you know, in, in Apple Watch program in terms of their ability to... Uh, use Apple Watch to, to track health data. So I think in the next few years, it's going to be enormous uh, opportunity for these companies to reinvent themselves as a healthcare companies, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and obviously, this will be done with uh, in a very predictive paradigm with focus on early diagnostic rather than with the current focus on treating symptoms of disease which already manifests itself. So, you know, I'm very excited, you know, about the things what Google, Apple, and, you know, IBM, some other big tech companies are doing in this field. Um, Another thing you mentioned was uh, that in Silicon Medicine, they are shortening the time of, uh, the period of time of the, uh, develop 
development of the drug, but uh, is there any company that is uh, focusing on uh, the clinical uh, safety, safetyness? Like, because uh, that's obviously the, you know, the, the end game, like to do a clinical trial. And yeah. this is what everybody is scared of when yeah. you're talking now about the uh, gene therapies yeah. and stuff like this. It's, get, it's getting more and more uh, in, intervention. I don't know if it's a, a bigger intervention than the classic uh, drug development, but yeah. it's new direction that we are going to. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, we look at a few startups, we're currently looking at a few startups, which trying to emulate human body within technological context, right? Let me put it this way. So that, I mean, if, if, think about this. If you have a beautifully working model of human body, then you can almost like do testing in your computers rather than uh, put you know, a number of people from your statistical sample in Therese. So that's, you know, I think it's a great idea. Having said that, you know, obviously there's huge if here, right? And this if, if, if you have a model of human body, you know, created, right? And that's, you know, obviously models is about assumptions, about shortcuts. And as we discussed, human body, specifically if you you know, look at like 7 billion people on earth. It's very complex, very diverse, you know, um, kind of sample of bodies, right, and how they work. So, you know, I think it's great that we started to think about it, but I also think it's not going to be until probably 10 years from now when we can see the actual and practical results of that. So I, I think it's just very early stage. Okay. Um, you mentioned, you talked about it, that you want it for everyone, not only for the rich people. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's always like the practical economics in the in any uh, situation. What I, I, I read... Uh, from the Credit Suisse company, financial company, yeah. they have uh, reports. In 2017, they said there are uh, 36 millionaires in the world. And in the report of uh, 2018, 42 like, uh, million, millionaires. So as I see it, it's a uh, market force. First of all, they will invest in it. They will buy products and maybe even they will put investments as uh, angels and uh, investors. So in the short short term, I think uh, this will, like we we don't see it like around us, but there is a big uh, market that, creates a, a big demand and it will put, accelerate stuff. And if next year there's another 6 million billion, millionaires, I don't know how they measure it, but uh, it's, I think uh, in the short term, it's good. 
And in the long term, we, it's better than not moving on. This is my aspect for now. Yeah. Um, look, and obviously there's few models here, right? So one model is like what Elon Musk did with um, Tesla, right? Yes. First, he just put on the market very expensive, you know, luxury car, electric car. You know, people who can afford buy it, and they actually use the profit from this to, to subsidize development of much more affordable models. You know, think about this cell phone, right? Yeah. When it was first created, it was available only for like extremely rich guy. It was five kilo box that you need to carry with you. And, you know, but right now, you know, we're just arguing with, you know, I have four kids, right? So we're just arguing whether we need to buy a phone for my eight years old um, kid, right? So the way innovation establishes itself, right? It's always start with, you know, on the expensive side and then, you know, market growth, demand growth, your production uh, capacity growth as well. And obviously, the bigger the number, the lower the cost and, and therefore lower the prices, right? So this is how affordability works, right? So that, that's number one. Having said that, uh, we just invested in a company which creates very affordable ultrasound devices. So they just took the current very new technology and applied to ultrasound challenge and then you know enabled to put on the market two thousand dollars a piece portable ultrasound device which you know do a scan put everything in the cloud use ai to do initial initial review of that to highlight for the doctor you know if potential areas of kind of interest right and then Compare it to today when when you go to hospital, your ultrasound device is huge. It's probably cost hundred thousand dollars and more, and you need someone who you know went through two years training to interpret the picture, right? So yes. this is what technology does to to you know this thing. So yes and no. In some of the cases, you need to go from like very expensive stuff and then wait until it will become more and more democratic and affordable. In some of the cases, you just take technology and make a previously very expensive thing very, very affordable. conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind, and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why, some say, the moon... And I saw in one of your uh, interviews, you were talking about basic income. I know it's not uh, longevity, but like if we're talking about abundance and uh, longevity, it has a connection. So did you think about it, like uh, how to approach it? Because my my concern is like uh, that prices will just uh, raise up. And I don't, I'm just, uh, I just started to think about it and I wanted yeah. to know how to. Well, uh, I'm not the biggest expert in, in universal basic income idea. Yeah. So that's number one. And number two, we probably never done it in a large scale. 
So, and I think the best way for us to understand the implication of this is to do a few experiments. Yeah. And today, currently, I think we have probably more than 10 experiments in different parts of the world where governments or local governments experiment with uh, universal uh, basic income. Um, we should look at the results of the experiments and kind of draw some ideas how we need to think about it. I'm, my mind is just struggling to assess the whole dimension of that, right? Yeah. So one day I'm like thinking about it and I'm negative, like, you know, how are we going to fulfill, you know, this human's life if we take out the work because it's for some of, for some of the people, it's, this is where they focus their life and this is where they draw inspiration and uh, aspiration from. Uh, it, there's more positive way to think about that. You know, people will just have plenty of time to be creative, to do good, to make the world better, to dedicate this time to kids, right? So um, I am in two minds, and um, I haven't done my research on that deeply. Mm-hmm. So we just probably need to sit and wait to see, you know, how what are going to be the outcome of the experiments which is currently going on in the world. Okay. And... If we succeed with the expanding the lifespan yeah uh, your personal plans <laughs> like how, yeah. will, how, how are you <laughs> what are you planning yeah look okay um, so what I'm my plan is a crazy one so I totally accept that and uh, my longevity is actually the first step to that so Yeah, if you look at, I, I always wanted to go to Mars as a planet. Mm-hmm. So, and then if you think about this, you know, if you factor in preparation, you know, time to go there, time you spend on Mars, time you go back. So it's at least three years of your life. And I'm 47, right? So yeah. if you look to, you know, average kind of life expectancy, which is, well, let's say it's 80, right? Yeah. You know, I just really don't have kind of spare three years to dedicate to that. So the beauty of that is um, if we expand our life to 120, 150, 200 years, I don't know the number, right? No one knows the number yet. You know, I feel very comfortable of, you know, talking to my family saying, guys, bear with me. I'm going to be back in three years. Don't worry. We have plenty of healthy and happy years ahead of us, right? So my personal plan, I'll just go to Mars, right? And I'll get back here. And, but I know a lot of people who, when they start to think about longevity, they have their own dreams. They have, you know, aspirations and things they wanted to do in life. And they always thought that um, they just need a little bit more years and capacity of the body to do that. So I'm pretty sure we're going to feel this time pretty creatively, constructively, and for the benefit, not only ourselves, but for the benefit of the planet. So that's my own plan. It's, uh, I, I hear a lot of uh, uh, freedom and ease. Not, uh, yeah. not like uh, always uh, thinking about uh, if I do this, it's, I cannot do the other stuff. Like uh, work and kids. <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit more uh, 
take life a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. The conflict. Okay. So, uh, thank you very much, Sergei. My pleasure, Gil. Was That was a great talk. You had yeah. a wonderful questions for me. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting better. And uh, we'll keep uh, the connection. I, I'm sure we'll have uh, more questions as uh, stuff are uh, moving forward. Thank you for giving thanks. me the time. Thank thanks you. for having me, Gil. And you know, thanks to the audience. And you know, obviously, we will have more questions. But what I can promise, we'll have more healthy and happy years to answer these questions and create new ones. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.